0: Hey friends, this is Linda and you're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves what it means and what it might call us to do. In today's episode, A Piece of Broken Pottery, we're finishing up the story of Job with another look at Job's friends and their attempts to fix his problems we'll find that sometimes saying nothing is better and we can leave the fixing to the one who can let's get started we're finally wrapping up our series on the book of Job today throughout the series we've looked at what kind of man Job was how Job suffered for no concrete reason how Job cried out to God in his distress how God responded in a way to help Job align his perspectives with God's, and how God ultimately blessed Job once more with even more than what he had. This is not a tale of how Job's faith yielded a great reward. It's about the faithfulness of God, independent of human failings or triumphs. But key players in this book are the three friends of Job, We've heard a few of their words in previous episodes and how the words they offered Job were more like a rebuke than it was a consolation, because they each took turns telling Job that there must have been something that he did to invoke God's wrath, or maybe it was his children, or maybe God was trying to teach him some kind of lesson. Now, there isn't a whole lot of information about his friends, but Biblical scholars believe that his friends were among the intellectual elite. They were learned men who represented the very best of ancient Near East thinking. So the counsel they each gave to Job was probably wise words. They, to a certain degree, probably even contained some theological truths. Apart from the fact that they strictly believed in retributive justice and that God certainly rewards the good and punishes the bad, we can tell that Job's friends feared God and were giving him godly advice. Except, if we were to revisit the text to examine the words of comfort they gave to Job, we'll quickly find that, though their hearts and intentions might have been in the right place, the things they said did very little to actually comfort Job. And here are some of the things Job says to his friends after they offer him their thoughts. In chapter 6, verse 31, he says, Now you too have proved to be of no help. Chapter 6, verse 25, he says, How painful are honest words! But what do your arguments prove? Chapter 13, verses 4 through 5, he says, You, however, smear me with lies. You are worthless physicians, all of you. If only you would be altogether silent. For you, that would be wisdom. In chapter 16, verse 2, he says, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Job eventually gets so fed up with them that he says in chapter 21, verse 2, Listen carefully to my words. Let this be the consolation you give me. And they're not the only ones who let Job down. Job's wife also couldn't stand to see Job in so much agony that she thinks that he might be better off dead. I think the actions of Job's wife and friends are completely understandable, though. Whenever a loved one is going through any kind of problem, isn't our first instinct to try and fix it for them? Um, There's this great episode of Parks and Recreation where one of the characters is pregnant and she's complaining about all the things that are bothering her. And her partner jumps into action mode and addresses all of her complaints one by one and spectacularly too. But it does nothing to make her feel any better. So later, some friends tell the guy to stop trying to fix her problems. And the next time she comes to him with a problem, all he has to do is say these magic words. That sucks. And... This is true for us, isn't it? What people need from us and what we also need from others whenever we're going through any kind of hardship, before all the solutions, is empathy. We want our feelings to be validated. We want people to acknowledge that what we're going through is not easy. And that is what Job needed from his friends. Job's friends repeatedly failed to do what is needed from true friends, to be present in Job's time of grief, to listen to him, and to trust that what he said and experienced were true. The thing is, they did do this. Let's go back to chapter 2, verses 8 through 13, to see how his friends first entered the scene. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads." Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. You know how people often say in crisis modes, don't just stand there, do something. But many times, the opposite is what's needed. Don't just do something, stand there. And this was the best thing Job's friends did for him in the entire book. As soon as they heard what had happened to their friend, they coordinated with each other to come see Job. Then they sat with him for an entire week, fully immersed in mourning with him, and no one said a single word to him. This was their shining moment as friends. And though, They might have had well-meaning and brutally honest things to say later. None of those were of any help to Job. All it did was pour salt on the proverbial wound. Even God, later in chapter 42, says he is angry with these three. God says in in chapter 42, verse 7, You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. The thing is, they actually did speak many truths about God in their speeches to Job. But in their arrogance and in their apathy, they did not reflect the true nature of God. God would have rather the friends have shown Job compassion rather than chastising him for his hypothetical sins. So for that reason, The Lord sends the friends to offer up sacrifices and has Job pray on their behalf. And he does. What is desperately missing from this narrative is someone to speak on Job's behalf. Job really needed a mediator. He says in chapter 9 verses 33 through 35, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it now stands with me, I cannot. Job's friends failed to do so in his frustration. Job takes his outburst directly to God. And while God cared and God listened, No one stepped in and spoke for Job to corroborate his innocence. Job had to pretty much defend himself on all fronts. But Job was so confident in his blamelessness that he knew that there must be someone out there who could come to his defense. He says in chapter 16, verses 19 through 21, Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high my intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to god on behalf of a man he pleads with god as one pleads for a friend and job was on to something here though he didn't know it and though god's people would not see this happen for centuries to come there was a mediator a witness an intercessor already sitting at the right hand of God, waiting to become the sacrificial lamb for the very real sins of many. And that is none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. Today is what is known in the church calendar as Reformation Day, which is the anniversary of the day Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther famously posted his 95 Theses in opposition of some of the practices of the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century. Now, not to get into too deep a history lesson, but for those of you who aren't too familiar with church history, Martin Luther is the reason Protestantism is even a thing. He was specifically against the Roman Catholic Church's practice of selling what was called indulgences, which was, in short, a transaction of sorts where, for a small fee, people, living and dead, could get their sins forgiven. Um, Luther firmly believed that salvation and forgiveness came from Jesus Christ alone and that people cannot buy them or earn them and these are the beliefs we hold on to today that's why hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 says therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven jesus the son of god let us hold firmly to the faith we profess For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. While Job in all his suffering didn't have anyone to stand in his corner, We do today, and that someone is the only one who can truly understand every last one of our anxieties and pain. Because, I mean, talk about suffering. He's been through the worst of it. Jesus is not only our attorney who champions us, but is the price that was paid for the sins we carry. Now We read earlier in Job chapter 2, that Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. A piece of broken pottery. Now, this was a pretty evocative image for me this time around. I usually gloss over it because it just seems like such a minor detail compared to the bigger picture of all his suffering. But the broken pottery here tells me that his house was probably in disarray. He seems to have given up on living. He was no longer taking care of his home. Maybe he's the one who trashed his things out of anger and spite. But that broken piece of pottery would be the thing he uses to alleviate his pain as he sat among the ashes. Now, there's this Japanese art of repairing broken pottery that's over 400 years old called kintsugi. And what's unique about this method of repair is that it doesn't try to fix something to make it look as it once did. What they do is piece the item back together, but highlight the cracks and fissures using gold powder. Kintsugi honors the artifact's unique broken history by emphasizing and not hiding the break. So if you look up images of Kintsugi, you'll see some beautiful bowls and pots with these gold lines that tell you where it was once broken. Now what this means for all of us is that we will all break at some point in our lives And probably have already, and more than once. There will be suffering in this life, not necessarily because we did something to deserve it, but because that's just what this world looks like for now. But our suffering is not something to be ashamed of, it's not something we need to hide. Our so called friends might try to fix us, but we can trust that even these breaks in our lives are not by chance, but are rather formative steps that will make our journey and story even more beautiful and unique. And whenever we see someone who might be at some kind of breaking point in their life, we can remember today's text and resist every last urge to jump into problem-solving mode. Maybe that is something they'll need eventually, and if that's the case, proceed with caution, grace, and utmost care. But the greatest comfort you can give is to just be. Sit with them. Listen to their woes. Mourn with them. You don't even have to say anything. And before you offer your own sage words of advice, carry them to Jesus lift them up in prayer because nothing you say or do could measure up to the solace that christ gives he's the one who fully understands and in him lies the solution trust in jesus and patiently wait on the lord to do what he always does in his good and perfect time and as you wait you can say, as Job did in Job chapter 19, verse 25, even in the midst of tremendous suffering, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, He will stand on the earth. Let's pray. God, there have been so many times, and even now for some of us, where we have felt so broken and broken beyond repair. But we know you are the one who can make us whole. So surround us, Lord, with people who not only seek to fix us, but who will stand in the gap with us to feel our sorrows and sit with us in our pain. And help us to also be that kind of comfort to others, remembering that you are a God of mercy and you teach us to do the same. Thank you for sending us a mediator, a high priest, a savior who speaks on our behalf in whose name we can approach your throne of grace with confidence. We thank you that you don't leave us all to be pieces of broken pottery, but as the master potter, you mold us, shape us, and put us back together in the most wonderful ways. In Jesus name. Amen.